Gather round, brothers and sisters. Our lesson today is on the fundamental elements of Southtown by P.O.D. Join us as we discuss this iconic new metal album and all of the bizarre and shocking things within. We'll discuss things like Christian rock music, evangelicals, and Rastafarianism. Count the number of times Kevin makes Nick uncomfortable in this episode of Days of the New. Welcome to yet another Days of the New. How you doing, Nick? Doing good. Greetings to all the Jaja warriors out there. Oh, God. Yeah, I hope INI has been achieved. Nick, you know, is, is your spirit good? Do you feel like uh, like you're, you're good with God right now? As good as usual, I suppose. <laughs> well, uh, you're about to get better, my friend. Today, we are going to be talking about the classic new metal album, The Fundamental Elements of Southtown by Payable on Death, better known as P.O.D. So, Nick, what was your prior experience with this album? You know, to be honest, I, I never I never had this album. So I knew the singles, and I've, I've definitely heard it through the years, but it wasn't like a heavy rotation record for me. I do think Southtown is a really important moment in new metal. It was, again, was one of those, oh, wow, there's a heavy song on the radio kind of moments. Uh, and I do think it's still the best song on this record. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think there are a few that give Southtown town run for its money but this was right around the time where i really started like fully transitioning out of listening to anything that could be considered new metal and it had enough of a hardcore leaning that i was like hey so a little background on this band in 1991 wov bernardo and guitarist marcos curiel and forgive me if i'm mispronouncing those names but they start jamming together and under the rotating names of Escachados and Enoch, they'd play keg parties, uh, performing covers by Bad Brains, The Vandals, and Slayer. So they kind of, you know, they were definitely into a lot of the underground scene, and it varied from metal to kind of more straightforward punk to that early genesis of hardcore. So that's already baked into what would become P.O.D. Yeah, I feel like it is kind of funny to new metal in general, like especially from the SoCal side, like a lot of these bands were already into like hate breed and stuff. And so like their early records, like P.O.D. in particular, if you listen to their early records, like there's many, many elements of hardcore that aren't there as the, they, you know, achieve more mainstream success. Oh, yeah, it's threaded throughout there. So you have equal parts, like really what I would consider the golden age of hardcore mixed with that baker's field like we're just going to kind of cherry pick from other musical elements like funk and hip-hop and stuff like that and put it all together and really make that new metal stew anyway on the other side of san diego love's cousin paul joshua sandoval who's better known as sunny was experiencing some pretty dark times. So Sonny was born in 74 to a hawaiian mother and a mexican italian father and he was raised in the neighborhood of Ote Mesa, which is a little south of San Diego. And he states that he saw his mother and father selling drugs that both cops and drug fiends would raid the house in equal measure. And his parents eventually wound up getting divorced. And Sonny did what many kids of that age do. So he's quoted, you know, he's going through all this dark shit. And eventually he goes to a show. And that's going to be one of the real big pivotal moments in his spiritual development. I'm going to quote from this interview with him. I ended up going to this show. The band was called The Crucified. The singer started chanting, United by Christ. That's when he really felt that his heart opened up to the idea of God and that there was a better way for him. So I want to stop right there. I listened to The Crucified in preparation. For, oh, wow. Yeah, I listened to The Crucified in preparation for this episode. And the song he's referring to is Crucial Moment off of their 1989 self-titled album. I want the record to show that this band, The Crucified, is way better than P.O.D. Dude, <laughs> they're fucking awesome. They've got like this sick, like Cali crossover thrash, like suicidal tendencies. They've got these big breakdowns. Like this is a band I would listen to in my free time. So going from bad to worse, Sonny's mother is diagnosed with leukemia. And as she battled this, Sonny stayed at her bedside. 
And their conversations would eventually turn to that is salvation. Sonny's mom was really just a devout Christian and saw that Sonny was on the wrong path and worried about him, you know, after she was gone. This is another quote from Sonny from an interview from Calvary Magazine. I got on my knees in the hospital parking lot. I said, God, if you take my mom from me, there are two options. I can either believe in you and trust your way is perfect or go on my own way and forget you. So Sonny chose the former and he goes on to say, I ask God to forgive me of my sins, come into my life and make me new. And the article then goes on to say that after returning to the hospital, Sonny whispered to his mom that she could go be with Jesus because now he knew him and she passed away that day. So Sonny has this newfound spirituality, this newfound faith, and he's grieving. And it's at that point that Love and Marcos approached him about forming a band with the addition of bassist Mark Tra Daniels. And that went on to become a band called Payable on Death, better known as P.O.D. They'd released two albums, Snuff the Punk and Brown. These were the albums that people would always come to me and say, no, nah, man, P.O.D., like they're super hardcore. You got to go back and listen to the first two albums. They're hardcore. And Nick, as you just mentioned, like, yeah, the influence is there, but these are not hardcore albums. No, not at all. I mean, the their album, Snuff the Punk, the album closer, is a seven-minute long, hardcore-inspired pastorship called Abortion is Murder. Dude, there's more, like, red early Red Hot Chili Peppers and, like, Living Color. There's a lot of rapping. There's bad production value. There's, like, kind of metal openings where, like, I'm like, okay, this, this shit's going to rock. And then it just goes into, like, this plastic rapping yeah but it sounds like there's like eight guys in the vocal booth and they're just like <laughs> free forming it and then i mean what there's nothing like a bunch of guys that look like gang members telling you abortion is murder there's nothing you could say or do to justify the fact that there's a living breathing baby inside of you not to mention that that many words didn't fit into the bar so he's like there's a living baby inside of you it's so bad and it's so offensive and i hate it so much uh, this style, it was enough to get them signed to Atlantic in 1998, and the following year, they would go on to release their first major label LP, The Fundamental Elements of Southtown. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what those fundamental elements are. Uh, I, uh, I did a little research because I wanted to know what Southtown was about. Please. So Southtown is an area of, of southern San Diego. It borders Mexico directly, as you talk to. The population is 60% Hispanic. And in 1984, it was also the site of one of the worst mass shootings in the history of the United States. Holy shit. Have you ever heard of the San Ysidro McDonald's massacre? I have not. Go check this out on Wikipedia. A 41-year-old husband kissed his wife and said, I just wanted to say goodbye. I'm going out to hunt for humans. And then he walked out the front door and he looked at his daughter and said, I just like to say goodbye. I won't be coming back. And then he took a shotgun, a nine millimeter and a fucking Uzi into a McDonald's and shot every single person inside. He killed 21 people and wounded 19. These including infants and like 75 year old people. I'd like people coming to the drive through or catching Uzi rounds to the dome. Just dude, absolutely lost his mind. So yeah, check that out. So Sonny would have been like nine or 10 when that happened, like in the community where he grew up. So I wouldn't be surprised if like that had an influence on something. I mean, how could it not? Oh my God, dude, that is dark. You think he's loving it? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Food, folks, and fun, and Uzis. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, speaking of Jesus, we can't get into POD without bringing up the elephant in the room. Christianity. I don't want this episode to be a let's pick on Jesus fest. A lot of my favorite bands in the hardcore scene are founded in their faith. I mean, the first song that ever got me into hardcore was by a band called Strong Arm and a uh, song called Sorrow is a Sage. And that was that had a really huge impact on me getting into the music that I'm in, in into today. And Nick, I don't know if you've had any experiences kind of like along. Yeah, that. well, I come from a pretty religious family and like definitely went to a youth group and all that stuff as a kid. Like the second concert I ever went to was a DC talk show. <laughs> if you know who that band oh, is. Yeah. That band, I mean, that, those guys are cartoons though. Like on the same album, they'd have a song that sounded like Nirvana. And then the next track would be like a hip hop selection. Mm -hmm. um, but like, you know, those kind of bands, Jars of Clay, uh, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. like, that's why this album was a little interesting to me when it came out, because, I mean, they sold this album in like the family bookstore, you know, mm -hmm. um, next to, you know, the, those same bands, DC Talk, and I, I'm forgetting the names of a bunch of them. But yeah, I mean, a lot of those acts were very like hand selected and like weren't exactly the most 
freedom of expression kind of acts, right? No. So for a band like this to be sold in those same bookstores was really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, like some of the kindest, bravest, and most compassionate people that I have in my life are devout Christians. And I love them with all my heart and I go to the mat for them, but there is a fundamental area we will never see eye to eye on. So for anybody listening, just so that we're, we're clear, this is my one guiding principle in all matters of faith. Anyone who says to you with absolute certainty that they know what's going to happen to you when you die and prescribes you a code of morals and behaviors in order to achieve paradise is lying to you. The end. That's all I got. So if at any point I seem dismissive of the Christian faith, it's because throughout my entire life, it has offered me no comfort, no compass, and no community to which I've ever felt a part of. So if anybody listening sees this as an invitation to slide into my DMs and try to help me and witness to me the glory of Jesus Christ, I kindly ask you to miss me with that bullshit because I'm, I'm not buying it. So all right man <laughs> sorry dude i feel very strong tell about them. this tell the people man I, and yeah man no problem and you know i mean i i don't really publicly talk about where i stand in religion but it, it's not too far off from yours i i choose instead to uh live my life with a personal mission statement of do good by myself and do good by other people and i kind of run everything through that filter and the, the yeah, little dude. live and let die as long as you know you're not hurting or hating anybody else well you know it gets a little bit more nefarious than that but we're going to touch on that in a bit let's get into the fundamental the fundal elements of south town <laughs> yes so this album was produced by howard benson and he worked with a number of bands in the it's called christian contemporary music some people call it c-rock but he worked with a lot of bands in that lane bands like flyleaf and third day and skillet I guess these are bands that uh, play Cornerstone. I don't fucking know. Yeah, they're, dude, Skillet's huge. Are they? Yeah, I mean, I tried to book them and like I couldn't afford them. And the venue that I work with, you know, uh, generally we were like a 1400 cap yeah. and they were bigger than us. Dude. Yeah, I mean, I worked a uh, Flyleaf show. I never heard of them. And they, I mean... Dude, I think they sold that place out. That's an 1100 cap venue. Well, think about it. Like there are mega churches in every single suburb of every single city that, you know, have youth pastors and youth music programs. And they're pumping out a lot of kids that are only allowed to listen to certain kind of music. Mm -hmm. And if you can get it at the family bookstore, then you don't have to ask your parents permission, right? You're good to go. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, I mean, some of it's a little cookie cutter and generic, but like for a lot of these kids that have these beliefs, like this, this, this is their scene. You yeah. Know? Like we came up in a different scene, but yeah, if you're part of the C-Rock scene, like those are your people, that's your culture. So like, and there's a lot of spending power there. A lot of these kids are coming from affluent suburbs, you know? There's a, yeah, there's a lot of money behind this. Anyway. Howard Benson, uh, probably the album that he's best known for outside of kind of the C-Rock scene is a little album by My Chemical Romance called Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah, I, I love that album. Yeah, dude. I want to start with the album art. This band specifically commissioned acclaimed artist Jean-Jacques Bastahash to create the cover art. It's, uh, it's pretty steeped in symbolic imagery. I mean, just right off the bat. In the center, you've got the representation of man who's filled with different shut drawers and the contents of which are unknown to us. But uh, mainly, he's a hollow vessel waiting to be filled. And within his chest, he opens up one compartment to show us the sacred heart of Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. Getting into my Irish Catholic bag a little. <laughs> I like it. Don't, let it fly, yeah. man. So uh, over his head, uh, Dove flies by to uh, drop in the triquetra which uh, became P.O.D.'s logo for this album. So a little bit about the Triquetra, known as the Trinity Knot, and it's derived from ancient Celtic knotwork. And like all things, it was adopted by Christians around the time of St. Patrick and became a symbol for the Holy Trinity, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the interweaving lines represent one being three separate but equal parts. So thank you, Celts. Hope your death at the hands of Crusaders was relatively painless. Can I say that I, I hate this album cover? Oh, uh, you're not alone I, on that. I think it's dreadful. So like at the edge of this artwork, it's all frayed and it's the representation of like the nine to five corporate grind and big city living and material gain. And it's showed by like this rope that wants to pull us away from our serenity and relationship with Christ. And there's like a dude in a suit and it's just, you know, it's kind of like very, Hey man, like don't let the material world and the man take you away from serenity. Right. So 
There's a lot of imagery here. There's a lot to kind of look into. And given all that, what do you think Christian bookstores took away from that stirring work of art? They fucking banned it. <laughs> now, why do you think they banned it? Nick? Um, well, for one, there's a cigar. Mm. The other one was that it looked like it was pagan. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, they, they put a black box around all of this imagery so they could put it on the shelves in Christian bookstores. And then in just a horrible font, it just said like P-O-D yeah. on it. Yeah. They just, they blacked out the entire thing that P-O-D had commissioned to be on there that they cared a lot about. And that's like one of the main things that pisses me off about the Christian music industry. It's like P-O-D is forced to censor their album. And that's not all. In 2012, Sonny had to continually go on a press junket tour and justify to every single Christian media outlet his one singular use of the word fuck. And that was on a track called Murdered Love. Like, this is a guy who has a successful career built around artistic expression. Right. And he has to go on public access, rocking with the spirit, and explain <laughs> away, like, this gray-haired sextagenarian who doesn't even fucking listen to P.O.D. Why his personal decision to use one solitary swear word after eight albums is not in accordance with Christ's teachings. Ugh. You always have to go back and explain to people why you've done what you've done instead of just doing it. I, I didn't come across very that. angry. Oh, no, that was that was good. Let's let the hate flow. <laughs> Maybe I do need Jesus. <laughs> I mean, but these are the same people who criticize like uh, C-Rock. They call it Jesus is my boyfriend music. Have you ever uh, heard this? No, I have not. But no, but this is definitely the whole like purity ring, you know, movement. Where like dads propose to their daughters. I I don't the whole thing's entirely creepy. No, it's like dads give their daughters a ring to wear until they get to exchange it for a, a wedding ring, and it also symbolizes Jesus. This sounds like my first hit on Pornhub. Oh no. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> so like Jesus is my boyfriend music is where you listen to a song by a Christian band, but they don't specifically like shout out God or shout out Jesus. It's always like your personal relationship with he, him, us, and you know, things that could like fly under the radar. Uh, there's a lot of criticism that they are not going far enough, that they are co-opting the, the Bible to help sell albums and that they need to come out there and explicitly say, we believe in Jesus and you need to be baptized in the holy blood of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't know why I keep going into... I don't know. Be, well, because, yeah, like, these people are not Catholics. This is no. a very mm. specific brand of evangelical Christianity. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and maybe that's just where I'm coming from. A lot of my religious upbringing was done by uh, a guy I called Father Irish <laughs> because, yeah, no, he was off the boat. And, uh, you know, he'd always talk to me about that. Jesus. I do want to give a big shout out to Father Irish for uh, getting busted for diddling some kids when he was in his 80s. And then he died. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the president of my Catholic high school is currently in hiding uh, after being caught looking at pictures of naked children on his cell phone at a high school basketball game. And the Catholic, oh. dia uh, the diocese of Chicago, like actively hid him. And no one knows where he is to this day. But I do remember him walking by me and my friend, and one of my friends was kind of a, he lifted weights, and the father like lifted up his shirt to look at his abs and went nice, and like walked away, and we were all like, what the fuck was that? But yeah, dude, he's in hiding. Fuck you, Father McGrath. Yeah, dude, Father Irish invited me out to a Cracker Barrel, uh, just me and him, to like, and you know, he just kept asking me about like weird kind of prodding questions about like my relationship with girls, and then like... You know, years later in my 30s, I'm like, fuck, I was being groomed. Yeah, totally being groomed. Maybe those are the uh, fundamental dude. elements of Southtown. <laughs> I'm going to take uh, you to Southtown. Oh, God. <laughs> Where the kid don't play. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, this album starts off with greetings. And right off the bat, P.O.D. are firmly establishing their sound is rooted in reggae in pretty much the cringiest way possible. And they open up with like aping the language with the convenient like brethren. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's it's bad. Oh, but I didn't know it was bad then. <laughs> no, no, I didn't know it was bad either. Well, we, should like, also, oh. we should also mention right off the bat that Sonny, the lead singer, 
his signature until just a couple years ago was having very long dreadlocks. And as we said, this is a man of Hawaiian and uh, Latin. Mexican yeah. and Italian. Yeah. So, like, there's a lot of um, co-opting going on here. Oh. Oh, just wait. So, greetings. It opens up the album. One thing that is very kind of prevalent on this album is that there's a lot of shit that's not needed. This is one of those. Yeah. Yeah. This whole album is like that. Yeah. We get into the first song, Hollywood. and. I think Sonny probably watched Guns N' Roses' Welcome to the Jungle video and just wrote what he thought about it. It's your typical, like, Hollywood is fake and a viper's nest of sin and lost souls. And right there, he's refuting what most musicians are striving for. It's also kind of funny that this is the subject matter for a band's major label debut. You know, this whole song is all about how uh, Hollywood changes people and fame gets the best of you. And it's like, you literally just signed to a major record label. You have no idea what's going to happen to you. Anyway. Yeah. It's like a typical new metal track. It's got these slow plotting beats and like frenetic bass and like these kind of crushing guitars that are just buried under envelope filter after envelope. So many envelope filters. Oh my God. It's got like a real Jane's addiction vibe going on. Big time. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, and there's some slapping of the bass. Oh, yeah. So it's a little too boring for my taste, but thankfully we get right into the piece de resistance of this album, Southtown. Dude, this shit slaps. Yeah, it's, it's super good. I love it. I absolutely love this song. The Ghost Inside did an incredible cover of it, and... Really, their cover of the original sounds like the original, which just like it, it stands <laughs> up, dude. It's a great song. Yeah, I mean, as soon as I heard it, like it snapped me right back to two thousand. Like I, oh, because yeah. like after this song lost its radio rotation, this band put out a, a another album that was more successful than this one with a couple big radio hits, and then mm-hmm. till the end of time, those are the songs that get played on the radio. So like I, just, I feel like Southtown just disappeared at some point in time, and that's totally unfair. Like I, I mean. For one thing, it absolutely cements their roots in the Christian hardcore scene. The video, like, the drummer is wearing this sick Zayo basketball jersey that I fucking want. And, like, (laughs) I immediately went on eBay to look for this. I was like, I need this in my life. And Sonny's rocking, like, a No Innocent Victim shirt. Like, I mean, they were, like, deep into Christian hardcore at this time. And I'm not mad about it, dude. The video, by the way has probably the most 90s scene I've ever seen in any video ever. All right, break it down. It's got a dude who I believe is one of like just P.O.D.'s homies, and it's in a sapia tone. They're in a tattoo parlor. He's got no shirt on. He's kind of covered in like this pastiche of tattoos. He's wearing a white bucket hat, and he's getting a tramp stamp. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah what is tra- the tramp stamp of? We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> right. And if anybody does know, if you're out there listening, dude from the Southtown video, please tell us what you got tattooed right above your ass crack. <laughs> <laughs> but like at the time, it was like, I mean, I'm sure it was some sick tribal shit with maybe like. Oh, I'm a, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Or a dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, he he went in probably wearing no shirt. That, that that that's a good that's a good drip right there and he goes in, he's like yo just uh i don't know tattoo something above my shithole <laughs> he probably didn't say that nick do you have anything else to add to Southtown before we move on yeah i mean it's i mean it's legit rap metal right sonny can spit a little bit he mm-hmm. manages to sound a little tough while he's singing about how he doesn't necessarily want to be tough it's kind of a cool addition to a genre that was ba- basically made up of only like angsty white dudes from the suburbs, right? Like outside of like Chino Moreno from the Deftones and then later down the road with Seven Dust and Skunk and Ancy, like there were not a lot of people of color or making new metal at all or women. Yeah. And we get down that road a little bit later too. So this is probably the first like Latin inspired and you know, reggae inspired new metal album that I ever heard. It was definitely like a fresh take. I mean, it just, it felt uplifting, which is. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think that, I think that there's a lot of integrity here. And then I also, I want to compare Southtown to Headstrong. Hi, Chris. <laughs> uh, but this song feels heavy. And that's what I was talking about. And I was like, when you listen to Headstrong, like when it comes in with that first like guitar break, it's, it just sounds soft. Like this doesn't like right off the bat, when this song hits, it hits really hard. To also go in on the trap headstrong vibe, 
like that bullshit scream that garth yeah put in like <laughs> sonny loses his shit at the end of this saying yeah. life doesn't have to be like this and you can tell that there is n- just 100% conviction what he's doing and like yeah. it's it's amazing it's a great song so I, I i love it it stands up and like you said sometimes he can bar it up this next one kind of proves that he can check in levels so it starts off with kind of like this stupid forced intro of they're all like checking their levels and yeah it's your standard new metal keep the tape rolling yeah 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 <laughs> so like the producer's like Oh, hey, yo, I'm going to need you to spit some ill shit. Yeah. He probably didn't say that. <laughs> no, he, he, he didn't. He said, uh, Sonny, uh, I need you to rhyme a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I listened to so much hip hop. That's like, hey, yo, you need me to spit some shit? Like, that's, that's just kind of what I hear. But then, like, he goes into, like, the weakest, most, like, uninspired rap I've ever heard. It's just like, freaking fantastic. My rhyme's ecstatic. I'm a microphone rocking rebel with medical testicles on my spectacles. Like, it's just like, it means nothing. Uh, well, I, I mean, I think it's a freestyle. Like, it's I not think a he's freestyle. Just, it's not. No, no I was because, hoping it was off the dome. All right, so next up is P.O.D.'s second big single from this album called Rock the Party. Dude, why is this song on this album? It doesn't make any goddamn sense. Like, this is a knockoff Beastie Boys song. Mm-hmm. But, but like, cheesy Beastie Boys. Like, body moving Beastie Boys. I, I have so many issues with this song. All right, so first off, the full title is called Rock the Party, parentheses, off the hook. Because 1999. Yeah. Well, no, even in 1999, I'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> like, if anybody tells me we're going to rock the party because it's off the hook, I'd want nothing to do with you. Yeah, that sounds like something a cop would say. Hey, guys, are you going to rock the party this weekend? <laughs> it's going to be off the hook. That's how you wind up in the back of a police cruiser. <laughs> Absolutely. Right off the bat, like, Sonny gets all the way into his youth pasture bag with, like, the stupidest dated lingo of the time. Like, we came here to rock this jam and spread his love is the master plan. That's what I'm saying. He literally says, gonna rock the party till the break of dawn. Like, you stole Beastie Boys lyrics that were on the radio at that time. Let's, Let's make one thing very clear about a P.O.D. party. There is nobody fucking or fighting or getting blackout drunk. There is nobody like running from the cops or swearing. I don't want to go to this party. (laughs) You're going to go to this party. You're going to drink way too much soda and like stay up and like maybe hold hands with a girl. And then somebody is going to like sit you down and witness to you. Fuck this party. But like. This is like music for the lock-in party at the YMCA where the cool youth pastor who says he listens to Metallica. It's where he quarters you to chat about spiritual growth and suddenly makes a conversational beeline to talking about how God helped him get through his pornography addiction. (laughs) All these dudes want to talk about porn all the time. It's all they want to fucking talk about. Yeah, I just feel like this one was put on the album to be more accessible for the family bookstore sect. Like, oh, yeah. I, I mean, it isn't, it doesn't fit. I mean, he's, there's like some raw shit on this album and this like shiny turd doesn't belong on it. And let alone be released as a single. I'm surprised I didn't tell POD to go fuck themselves when this one came out. Did you watch the video for this one? No, I, I won't. Okay. <laughs> so POD is in a bus. They're like in a tour bus and there's a fisheye lens and a disco ball. And like all the kids are partying and there's like a DJ who's only on two albums and was never a part of POD at all. Yeah, but he is going off on this song. Oh, this guy is scratching everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that like it would give Limp Biscuit a run for their money and as far as like that goes. But no, th- this video looks like it was the tour bus from Kid Rock's American Badass video. Like <laughs> after they sandblasted all the dried semen off the inside, <laughs> oh, like gave it to POD. <laughs> it smells like Bud Light and man juice. Oh God! Oh, God. <laughs> you all right there, Nick? No, it's not okay. All right, we got we got more to go, buddy. Hang on. <laughs> Next up is Lie 
and uh, it's a good song. Yeah, so this one, it's just, it, it, it's so different than Rock the Party. The intro sounds like a quicksand song. Um, the riff really sounds like quicksand. I was getting like heavy, like Deftones adrenaline era vibes from this. Mm-hmm. And like, then he throws in like some bot, uh, like some bullshit jaw shout outs. Yeah. They ruin the song with an entire rap section in a funk reprise with the turntables of what they just said. Yeah, they do. Like, it's the first time we've seen kind of a screamy vocal approach. And overall, mm-hmm. I like the song. But this is like the first time that he gets like really religious and biblical. He sings a line. He says, evil, evil virus, be like Cyrus. Like he's singing about Cyrus the Great, who was the king of Persia that released the Jews out of Babylonian captivity. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, he sings about more of that in the next song. Oh, yeah. The next track is called Zion. Isn't it called Set Your Eyes to Zion? <laughs> Actually, yes. No, it is called Set Your Eyes to Zion. This is one of the band's favorite tracks. Wav, he says on uh, one of their vocal commentary albums that this song encapsulates the way P.O.D. interprets reggae music. It's like old Rasta reggae. And then Sonny chimes in and says, it's really an iconic P.O.D. cut. And Sonny, throughout a bunch of interviews, he really makes clear that he loves reggae music and he feels very connected to it. On their SoCal Sessions uh, commentary, he reiterates on this song, there's so much scripture embedded in reggae music. And then for whatever reason, he ends the commentary by saying out of nowhere, ragamuffin. Weird. Yeah, like he just decides to like throw that in there somewhere. So it's obvious that he loves reggae, but does he really love Rastafarianism? Well, I don't know because, you know, it's widely understood that P.O.D. is a Christian band Mm -hmm. and that Zion would generally be a reference to heaven, right? Mm -hmm. But he sings Ja People Ride On Mm -hmm. and it could very easily be interpreted that he's talking about Rastafarianism, which believes that Zion is in Ethiopia, Mm -hmm. which is both the promised land and heaven on earth. You're spot on in that, dude. For those of you who don't know, and this is according to Britannica.com, Rastafarianism is a religious and political movement and it dates back to the 1930s It combines like Protestant Christianity and mysticism and this Pan-African global consciousness. The movement itself, it takes its name from the Ethiopian emperor, his imperial majesty, Hali Selassie. And uh, Hali Selassie's pre-coronation name was Ras Tafari. So Rastafarianism is quite literally named after the Ethiopian emperor. It draws on Old Testament stories. So they believe that people of African descent in the Americas and all around the world are exiles in Babylon. And they're being tested by Jah, who is God. They look to the New Testament book of Revelation, and they wait their deliverance from captivity to Zion, which Nick, as you mentioned, is the symbolic name uh, for Africa, Ethiopia in particular, which is the ultimate home of all Africans and the seat of Jah. And their main one goal is repatriation of Ethiopia. Beyond that, many, but not all Rastafarians believe Hali Selassie is the second coming of Christ. And he returned to redeem all black people. Further, and probably what most people know, is that they believe they can come to know the true meaning of biblical scripture by cultivating a mystic consciousness with oneself called INI. This is done through rituals that include prayer services and the smoking of ganja. So let's take into account what Sonny just said. Okay. Where I and I is free, Jah sets my mind at ease. Where I stay cool in the shade, even at 96 degrees. You must believe and plant the seed of wisdom. Stick to the track and don't be trapped by Babylon. And then the chorus goes on to say, Set your eyes to Zion, Jaja people ride on. Would you like to know what that essentially equates to? Lay it on me. I achieve a mystic consciousness with God through smoking marijuana. Further, African-Americans are trapped in an unholy land that is testing them through things like slavery and economic oppression. For that reason, they should repatriate Ethiopia as it is where God resides and is the homeland of his imperial majesty, Hali Selassie I, who was the second coming of Christ. Is that what you meant, Sonny? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, so there's so many reggae songs that talk about Zion, right? Like Bob Marley has Zion Train. The Melodians have Rivers of Babylon, which is based upon Psalm 137, which contrasts the captivity of Babylon with the freedom of Zion. So like, is he just parroting bullshit that he heard in reggae songs that he liked a yes. lot? Or does he know what he's talking about? No, he doesn't. Because if he did, he would think about it twice before he starts just cherry picking language from uh, Rastafarians just to further his own goals. I, d- I just don't quite get how this passed the censorship test to get on the shelves of the family bookstore. Oh, dude, I read a lot of articles where, again, 
white-haired men who are the arbiters of what is allowed in Christian bookstores, they took issue with, are you Christian? Are you not? In interviews, Sonny says he believes that faith can be found anywhere, but then he uses Rastafarianism. Like, fuck all of you. Well, I mean, I don't necessarily have a problem with that from like a business perspective. Like their business has a very specific customer base, right? And they are selling a specific product to their specific customers. And like, I guess if I had that, I'd be suspicious of somebody trying to like land on the shelves too, if they were going to corrupt my message, you know, regardless of what that message is. I don't know. The whole thing's weird to me do you know how many rastafarians there are in the world i have no idea it's estimated there are about to seven hundred thousand to one million it's more than i expected right do you know how many christians there are in the world oh no i can't even 2.3 billion yeah that sounds about right so you are not the minority you are not the oppressed there are about 1.9 billion followers of islam There's about 1.1 billion Hindus, and it just goes down from there. So about 29% of the world is Christian. So you're taking 2.3 billion versus, what, 700,000 to a million, and you're taking the things that they believe and the culture that they have founded, and you're using it to further your own goals. And I speak for all Rastafarians on this podcast, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you really need to know what, what uh, Rastafarians believe and need to hear about Ja, come see me, a white man in North Carolina. <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm about as fucking Rastafarian as a can of red stripe. <laughs> Next up is another 33 seconds of bullshit. Lo siento. Nothing there. I, I just, lo siento means uh, sorry in Spanish. So I, I don't know what that's all about. Bullet the Blue Sky, that's uh, next up. That's a U2 cover. So, like, I'm not a big U2 fan, but, like, their early political stuff is super rad. So good. They turned into something that they weren't. And Mm -hmm. somehow, like, the U2 version hits harder than this one. Why is that? It's something about the production value and the honesty. Like, I I get what P.O.D. was trying to do. It's not a bad cover, but it feels super disingenuous. The song was written about political violence in El Salvador during the Reagan administration, and U2 kind of uses it as an overall message about gun violence in their concerts now. But I feel like P.O.D. only covered it because it has a little biblical imagery in the lyrics. It feels completely out of place on the same album as Rock the Party. Yeah, it's a weird cover, but I mean, it's, it's decent. I just don't know if it was really needed or if it fits there are 17 songs on this album it did it was not needed no no this is this is a 12 11 12 tops song album and oh. they stretched this shit out to 17 so next up is more filler it's psalm 150 uh it's called psalm 150 and it's psalm 150 read in hebrew the end yeah with like a pure moods background music <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next up is the song called Image. Uh, it's kind of dope. Uh, he starts with spitting a bunch of nonsense bars and dude, it, the lyrics, this is what happens when you take a bunch of mushrooms at church camp and you have your <laughs> lyric book with you. You're absolutely right. It's just like some, you know, some allusions to the crucifixion paradise. And then it's just like, you know, hold on, let me spit on the mic uh, one time. It's just, it's not. You know, and the, the song is a little over three minutes, but it feels like 10. Yeah. Oh God, it takes forever. You know, like musically it's great, but we don't need the rap. Like we do Ooh. not need the rap here. Well, I mean, I think it should be no, important to note, like we talked about it on the Trapped episode a little bit, that like some point around 99, 2000, like, New metal raged on, but the rap part became super unfashionable. And if you go listen to P.O.D.'s music now, it's like a dark kind of like metal, yeah, like radio yeah. metal. It doesn't sound anything like this stuff. He yeah. doesn't rap at all anymore. No, they've like almost totally abandoned that. I think the only time that you're really going to get any rap out of them is live would be Rock the Party or, uh, you know, I- South I don't think they play Rock the Party live anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't think so. Well, I'm not going to Cornerstone then. <laughs> oh, hey, here's another 55 seconds of your life you're never getting back. It's called Shouts. Yeah, he just sings about Jaja Warriors and, yeah. you know, like it feels a little improvised. The drum part's pretty cool. I guess. That's it. Yeah. Tribal, 
Sonny's back on his Rastafarian shit. Yeah. It's uh it's okay. But yeah, I mean, he's got a little sick little flow singing about tribal warriors. I mean, I, I think a bunch of youth group kids would be stoked to think of themselves as tribal warriors. Like, check this out, though. There's a really specific lyrical reference in here. The lyric is manifested. This joy is my desire. Light this fire to flames. Praise the name Jehovah Jireh. <laughs> so Jehovah Jireh is the biblical location where God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son. So in the scripture, because uh, he was about to, you know, stab his son and then burn him. And God was like, oh, uh, you know, we cool because I asked you to do something and you proved your faith. So then God provided a ram to sacrifice instead of Isaac. So modern translations of Jehovah Jireh, uh, it simply means the Lord will provide. Hmm. It's kind of like the biblical version of, you know how like when you're trying to get into the passenger side of a car and your buddy would just keep going forward a little and you oh, keep on yeah. reaching like for the it. door? It's kind of like that, except you kill your kid. Freestyle. Let's just get this straight right out the gate. It's not a freestyle. Because this song has absolutely uh, California love vibes. It's got that, yeah. that California guitar, you know, that keyboard thing played on guitar again that Incubus did in the Spawn episode. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth. It just cherry picks from every single thing that you need to further your agenda. And I know I've said that before, but uh, hey, it's time for more nonsense. Hold the thresh, resurrected here in the West. Clinch the fist, dismiss the stereotype, menace, loose lips, shake sips, to bleed the fifth. Bam, 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 bam. Who fucking cares? What are you yeah, saying? We're, we're almost at the end, but uh, next up is uh, Follow Me. So this, this is like heavy Jane's addiction, but about Jesus. Yes. So who do you think he wants us to follow? I don't know. It's probably God. <laughs> probably. probably God. I mean, this is some rapture shit right here. I mean, he's talking about like the rapture. Dude, I'm pretty sure. He throws John 925 straight up into a verse. Like it's, I would say that this is the most hardcore song on the album. Yeah. By far. For sure. It's a solid song. Like he alternates kind of back into Rasta Sunny on some of the lyrics. You know, it's this jaw people, jaw warriors. But o- overall, I, l- I like this song a lot. Yeah, I like it too. Closing out the album is Outcast, spelled just like Atlanta rappers, Outcast. I was hoping this song would be about Outcast, but instead it's like a, it's kind of like an ISIS recruitment song. Like, <laughs> this song is all about brace yourself like a man and being a militia for God. It, if, if it was sung in a different kind of church, the Christian bookstore would have a real problem with this song. So that rounds out the fundamental elements of Southtown by P.O.D. Nick, any parting thoughts on this on this particular album? Not really. I mean, overall, I like half of it. There's a, there's some really good songs on here. You know, it, it is the record that launched a really good career for P.O.D., who uh, had major, major radio success and made a lot of money mm-hmm. uh, over the next decade. And they still get a lot of radio play on, like, you know, X- XM radio and stuff. A lot of kids grew up with Southtown as kind of like their first introduction to hardcore. And you see that like Sonny guests on a lot of albums that I particularly like. I, I know that he uh, guests on a couple tracks by Islander and uh, he's still kind of like a respected and revered figure within hardcore as a whole. I will say that uh, Sonny also kind of takes a nod back to the hardcore before him. He has HR from Bad Brains come onto a couple of tracks throughout the years. But uh, overall, I like the album. It could be about 10 songs shorter. It's a solid EP. They got a solid EP locked in there. But yeah, that's that's Southtown by Southtown. Where are they now? Well, like Godsmack, P.O.D. got 9-11, but in the best way possible. Their single for their follow-up album, Satellite, was called Alive. It was released in July of 2001. You can probably guess what happened in September of 2001. The terror attacks on the World Trade Center happened, and the lyrics and the video and everything else, it offered hope. I, I know for myself, when I heard that song, I felt like maybe things would be okay. I felt like it was a beacon in a very dark time where everything that you understood about how the world was got shattered. I will say the album itself was actually released on September 11th, 2001. You know what else was released on September 11th, 2001? Slayer's God Hates Us All. Oh, God. But yeah, Satellite would go on to uh, go three times platinum. They've done quite well for themselves in both the sacred and secular market. They're still together. They're still putting out albums. You've still got the same lineup. 
And uh, that's very rare for a lot of the bands that we cover on this podcast that they've been able to ride the waves. What's interesting, though, is they, they went from being an opener to a headliner. And so bands exist in an arc. Mm-hmm. So you start off and you're opening for other bands and eventually you work your way up to direct support and then you work your way up to the headliner. And then as your career starts to fall pretty soon, now you're direct support and eventually you're the opener again. Mm-hmm. And then you quit because you're tired of playing it like pizza joints, like Trap does. <laughs> Hi, Chris. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, have you seen P.O.D.? I've never seen P.O.D., have you? I saw, I saw them last year. Yeah, they, they went out within this moment and I booked that show here in Kansas City. And uh, I think P.O.D. played second on like a five band bill. It was the longest show I've ever seen. And I've never seen so much vomit in the venue because <laughs> I'll tell you what happens, ladies and gentlemen. When a concert is like six hours long and doors open an hour and a half before the first act goes on, people get wasted. <laughs> Nick, can I ask you a question? Yeah. What's your in-out policy? No, we don't have one. Once you're in, you're in. There you go. <laughs> what else am I going to do? <laughs> Get fucking yeah. wasted. Yeah, I mean, we, we, yeah, the bar did good that night. <laughs> <laughs> but security also had to fish a girl's cell phone out of a puddle of her own vomit. So oh, that's a thing that happened. <laughs> so how, how, how was POD musically? How was their performance? They sounded how? the same. They were yeah. good. Um, that was what I... I hadn't thought about them in a long time. And that's when I was like, oh, that dude doesn't have his dreads anymore. He just wore like a black baseball hat the whole time. You know, I was working, so I was kind of in and out of the room. I didn't like sit and watch the whole set. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was good. Cool. I want to spend the end of this episode talking a little bit about the extracurricular activities of Sonny, namely the whosoevers. So Nick, I know you've done a little research into the whosoevers as well. I have. For our listeners who don't know, the whosoevers is a nonprofit organization. Their mission statement is they empower students at public schools around the world to make positive choices no matter the circumstance. It was founded by Sonny and Brian Head Welch from Corn, who later in life would leave Corn because he was saved and he eventually rejoined Corn. And Ryan Rees from Circuit Footwear. We'll get into him in a minute. The Whosoevers, they exist as uh, part of an association of uh, evangelical Christian churches called Calvary Chapel. In some way or another, if you've been involved in Christian hardcore, chances are that Calvary played a part. They present themselves as like having like an independent, casual, basically, you can wear jeans to church, man. That's their whole kind of selling point is like, hey, we get it. Church is stuffy. Like put on your t-shirt and your jeans and come on over and, you know, we'll just rap. We'll just, you know, we'll just kind of talk about life. Like, that's what God wants. So, like, they kind of get passed off under that, like, non-denominational vibe. Their praise and worship, it usually consists of, like, C-Rock. It's usually consists of, like, P.O.D. and uh, Flyleaf and shit like that. Like, that's kind of where their message comes in. Here's a fun fact. Calvary Chapel doesn't ordain women or homosexuals as pastors. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Let's talk about gay folks for a minute, Nick. And specifically, let's talk about Ryan Rees, who is one of the founders of the Whosoevers. He's the son of Raul Rees, who is the pastor of Calvary Chapel Golden Springs in Diamond Bar, California. That has a congregation of 12,000 attendees. Yeah. Ryan, he also teaches a weekly study there. Here's where I really struggle, dude, is like there's this cool hip package that all this shit is wrapped up in. But when you really dig and dig and dig and look into what is it explicitly that you believe and that you are bringing to kids in public schools, I want to uh, read from a 2015 interview with Ryan in Marked Ministry magazine. He's asked, What is your heart and vision for this generation? And his answer is, When I talk about the whosoever movie reaching the world, I want to reach the world. And the things that have happened in the past couple days with courts approving homosexuality, I'm not offended. I'm not shocked at all. I'm kind of like, yeah, that's what Jesus has been telling us. So first you think like he's going to, you know, co-sign on like, yeah, Jesus accepts all. (laughs) No. He goes on to say, in Mark chapter 13, Matthew 24 and 28, It tells us that you will be in the end days when things like this start happening. When I heard that happened, I just said, cool. Now we know for sure that we are in the end times. Oh, God. 
Yeah, dude. They do not like homosexuals. They are not on board with that. They want to change you. And it's like, you can catch more flies with honey. They paint it as like this, God loves you in spite of your sin and in spite of your wickedness. And that's how they treat this. This guy believes the fucking world is ending. And he actually goes on to say, there's no hope. Kids are under depression. Social media is destroying them. Music is destroying them. And we're living in a godless country. But what's rad about that is that there's so many people that don't know about God. These kids don't know about Jesus. And the harvest is ripe. But the workers are so few. And the most exciting times you could possibly be living in right now is the end times. Yeah. He led that off with there's no hope. But. Yeah. But. Do you know where they got the, the name whosoever? Uh, I know it's from the Bible. Yeah, Romans 10, 13 is uh, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Great. In July of 2016, Louder Sound reported on the baptism of Austin Carlisle. They further elaborated in September that the whosoever's were the ones who baptized him. So they're actively baptizing people. If you don't know who Austin Carlisle is, he's the former singer of, of Mice and Men, a band that I hate named after a book that I love. <laughs> He left the band a couple months after the baptism, publicly claiming that the band wouldn't let him write what he wanted, which I assume was to use their platform as a new religious stance. He also had some medical issues. It has come to light in the last few days that Austin Carlisle has been accused of rape and statutory rape by more than 15 women. I don't know. I have no idea if any of that occurred after his baptism. And while baptism might wash away your sins in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of people down here, Austin Carlisle's in some shit. Yeah, dude. In April 2020 episode of the Provoke and Inspire podcast, where Rees is one of the guests, they lament that the coronavirus has trapped young men in their homes. They refer to this as the work of the enemy, and they make vague references to the fact that these men might have other men as roommates. And they go on to uh, reiterate that these are the end times, and this is exciting. And that's P.O.D. I'm sorry, this really did turn into a pick on Jesus fest, didn't it? (laughs) What are you listening to, Nick? I've been listening to a shitload of new metal, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, these episodes take some time to write, and, you know, you can't just re-listen to an episode once and then write a podcast about it, so... Um, my timeline on uh, Spotify is a literal hellhole, so I needed a little bit of earwash, and for that, sometimes I like to go to the Mountain Goats. If you're unfamiliar with the Mountain Goats, give them a shot. From the 2017 episode, Goths, uh, I recommend the song Rain in Soho. Nice, nice. I have been listening to a lot of evangelical podcasts proclaiming that this is the end time and that we're all addicted to porn. Uh, it's, it's, man, it has really fucked up my Google AdWords search. Oh no. When I'm not hearing the good word, I've been listening to a lot of Peter Gabriel collection from an album called Floatsam and Jetsam. And it's just a collection of remixes and live pieces. I mean, you know, I love Peter Gabriel. For sure. It really gives you like some stripped down versions of songs and uh, different interpretations. My personal favorite and the one I'm going to tell y'all to listen to is the song Growing Up, remixed by Trent Reznor. Absolutely amazing. It's great. All right. So two weeks from now, we'll be back on the air and we're going to be talking about the first album by Seven Dust. But also, I'd like to announce that we are moving into a weekly format with a shorter episode called The Mosh Pit. Mm -hmm. Every other week, we will drop just a short little episode because we know some of you have days of the new craving and we're going to (laughs) come bring it along and we're going to individually talk about uh, rather than a new metal album, we're going to talk about a song that has new metal vibes by a non-new metal artist. Yeah, we're going to get into that new metal energy. It could be old, it could be new. Nothing's off the table. If you have something that you really feel has that new metal energy that you want us to dive into for a little bit, let us know. And where can they find us? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Days of the New, D A Y Z of the N U. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Nick underscore the underscore knife. You can find me on Instagram at K J D E L U R Y. And you can't find me on Twitter because I've been jerking off to too much gay <laughs> porn that I've been exposed to during this quarantine. Jesus Christ. And it has really strained my relationship oh, with God. Okay, that's it. End episode. <laughs> <laughs>